Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to be with you all again today. And uh, I'm really excited today. I've got a friend of mine who has been on the podcast before, coming back for their second time on the show. Um, looking forward to it. Welcome back to the show, Ali Smith. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's uh, it's great to have you back on. I can't wait. We were just talking before we started recording about when the last time you came on was, and I can't remember. Um, it was a couple of years ago, I think. But um, yeah. Um, so anyway, it's good to have you back on the show. Um, long before time, we've got lots to talk about. So um, just for like people who haven't, who didn't listen last time, maybe or who you're new to, just just tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Allie Smith. Um, I use they, them, and fay fair pronouns. Um, I am a queer disabled business owner um, living in Southeast Kansas. Um, I'm an Enneagram One Wing Two. Um, I founded a local nonprofit here in Southeast Kansas called Q Space. Um, it's a local um, community of support for LGBTQ plus people. Um, and my business is called The Witchy Bibliophile, where I upcycle, forage, and grow witchy items for your magical needs. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we've been friends for a while. And yeah, and you make really good Taylor Swift memes for Twitter as well, I should say. Like, yeah. <laughs> really good ones. Because like, <laughs> you're a Swifty, aren't you? Like me. Yeah. I'm kind of a Swifty. Uh, I'm excited. I'm gonna. I get to see her in July. So you're going. Oh, yes. that's very exciting. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I forgot she's doing a tour. Like, yeah, I did a whole episode on Taylor Swift and the Enneagram with Jenna Dewitt a few weeks ago. Uh, it was uh, fantastic. We talked about the tour as well, like and Ticketmaster and everything. So that was oh, fun. Was, that was <laughs> I was sitting <laughs> at my computer all day to get those tickets. I bet. Like, yeah, I I didn't even try because I knew I wouldn't get any. Like, and also they're really expensive. I don't even know if Taylor's coming to the UK actually. So, uh, I hope they are. But uh, who knows? I hope she is. Like, at starting a a national tour after the US tour. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But me going on my own to see Taylor Swift will be a bit weird. But, uh, um, but you know, anyway um taylor swift we're both swifties yes uh and another thing that we both are is um autistic and um adhd and one of the things we're going to talk about today is your kind of your journey into that and learning that about yourself and getting a diagnosis so um so it's something we talk about a lot on the show those those things um Partly because it's part of my story and partly because those things are important to talk about. And so, um, yeah. Uh, so tell us a bit about your kind of story with autism and ADHD and how kind of you began to realize that you were and then getting the diagnosis. Sure. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I think I realized a lot about myself during the pandemic the last few years. <laughs> Um, had some time for some introspection um, away from other people and really getting to know, you know, myself. And then also TikTok, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, a lot of relatable content I saw on TikTok 
um, was from neurodivergent people, right? So um, people who, who um, labeled themselves as neurodivergent, um, a lot of them said they were autistic or had ADHD or both. And, you know, I was relating to a lot of this content, but I'm like, I, I've never even thought about this my entire life. Like, I don't, I've never thought about this. I'm like, um, and I think part of that is uh, I was in a, a bubble um, uh, being in evangelical Christianity. Um, my, I was homeschooled kind of in a bubble as far as, you know, what those things were. And then whenever I learned what autism and ADHD were, I think a lot of it was very stereotypical. And then also a lot of the research and the um, diagnostic criteria for ADHD and autism you know, we're based on cis white males, right? And I am one of those things. I'm white, but <laughs> I'm, I was born female. So I, um, it was assigned female at birth and, um, and they, that's very, uh, was very rare up until recently for, um, people to diagnose, you know, people who are assigned female at birth, uh, as autistic or ADHD, and so that's not really something I think people are looking for um, in me, you know, as a child growing up, thinking about those things. And um, I uh, actually was uh, talking with Amber about it, our, our friend, and um, I talked with her on and off about it. Um, and I could tell that she had opinions about <laughs> what kind of, what flavor of neurodivergent I was, <laughs> but she wasn't <laughs> telling me. And so like one night I like pretty much interrogated her <laughs> and was like, Amber, you have to tell me what you think. Like, what do you think? Um, like my flavor, that's what, how I, how I kind of talk about it, what my flavor of neurodivergence is like, because at the time, um, my spouse has ADHD, and he was um, diagnosed with ADHD when he was a teenager, um, you know, fairly young, but like a little older than a lot of kids were. But uh, I saw these things with him, right? And to me, I was like, well, I'm not like that. Like, I'm not like, I, I guess I thought that... Um, since I wasn't exactly like him, <laughs> that I must not have ADHD. <laughs> and I didn't really know about like the inattentive type of ADHD. Um, and like the name ADHD is kind of um, strange, I guess. Um, I know several people are talking about uh, how it should be named something else um, rather than like attention mm. deficit hyperactivity disorder. Like, mm. Um, so there's a lot of conversation about that, um, which could be a, a whole podcast probably, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I saw in him that, and I'm like, well, no, that's not exactly like, I don't think I'm like that. Um, I don't think I have these symptoms. I don't, you know, and he would, he would explain some different things to me that I didn't relate to. Um, but you know, it's, it's, a a, a spectrum um, right. Um, all of these things and not everyone is the exact same, even if we both have ADHD or even if we both have autism. Um, but anyway, back to my interrogation of Amber, um, <laughs> I, you know, was asking them and 
we were talking about it and, and she's like, finally, they said, you know, like, I think you're autistic. And I was like, okay, okay. And I'm like, all right, lay it out for me. Like, why do you think this? <laughs> and like, I was connecting the dots and then I was sharing and Amber had also shared with me that they um, believed that they were autistic as well. They had shared that with me previously. So we were talking about our different experiences and stuff. And then, um, and then they had me take the rads, um, like right on my phone right then. <laughs> and one of the first, uh, now I forget what the rads um, is actually like stands for, but it's one of the um, primary like um, testing or questionnaire diagnostic criteria or diagnostic tests um, that some people use to diagnose autism, not just the only one, but one of them. Um, Mm. And it's said that, you know, anyone who gets uh, that only no one that's autistic gets under a 65 as a score on this test. And I started taking it. And of course, like one of the first questions it asks is, would you rather spend time with people or spend time by yourself? And (laughs) That's so vague, right? <laughs> like as an autistic person, I'm reading that. I'm like, wait, in what situation? I'm like, and who are these people? Yes. And the, those were yes. the questions I was asking Amber as I'm thinking this. And she's just laughing because she's she's like, obviously, she's she's thinking like, that's the most autistic thing you could respond with, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, yeah, like what context are you talking about? How many people are you talking about? Like, you know, what's the, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Are these strangers? Are these my best friends? And she was like, just imagine that if that these people, any people that they talk about in this test are probably not your close circle of friends. And I was like, okay, then. <laughs> so I answered like that. Um, but but so many of the questions, that's that's my response. I'm like, wait, in what situation? Like, because it depends. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and and so I took the took the rads. I got at the time like a, I have one forty five or something like that. Um, and every time I've taken the rads since then, I think my score has gone up <laughs> higher. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think it's because I've started the process of unmasking, right, <laughs> and accepting a lot of my autistic traits. So they're they're popping out a little bit more, and. <laughs> Each time I take it, my score is a little bit higher. I haven't taken it in a in a minute, but I think the last time I took it was like a one sixty five. So um, it keeps going up. I've never done that. I need to do that test probably. Oh yeah, you um, should. I've never heard of it. And after I um, I took that, uh, I I was thinking, I'm like, I really don't believe that anyone could get under a sixty five. I, I was like having a really hard time believing that. Right. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I got like 150, right? Like I, I don't know how anyone could get that low of a score on there. And, um, so me and some other people well, in my friend group, well, that's when I realized that most people in my friend group <laughs> are either autistic or have ADHD or both. Right. <laughs> like, oh, that's why we mesh. Right. <laughs> and we, we were thinking about, okay, who do we know that we think doesn't have, like, isn't autistic? So we thought of one friend, um, poor Sheena, um, because I like, I was like, we were like at the, at a bar at the time, like, and I was like, Sheena, you have to take this test. 
And if you've ever taken this test, it's so long. It's like 85 questions. <laughs> like, oh, my word. Right. It's really long. And I'm like, take it, take it now. And my friends were like, Allie, no, like, she doesn't need to take it now. Like, <laughs> But she knows, like, of course, I will do this for you. She's an Enneagram 6. And she <laughs> she took the test <laughs> on her phone really um, diligently. And then she's like, okay, I'm done. And I'm like, what's your score? Her score was like a 20 something. I think it was like 22 or something like that. And I was like, and I was just like in shock because I'm like, okay, I was wrong. Like there are people that can get under 65, like holistic people exist. And, <laughs> and she didn't even know what the test was for. <laughs> and she is just like, this means I'm stupid, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> And I was like, no, Sheena, that's, it's not like, she thought it was like an IQ test or something. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, no. This just means that you aren't autistic. And she's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But, but that I think helped me kind of put things into perspective because if you are someone who is undiagnosed autistic, who spends most of their time around other autistic people, you're not going to really see a difference right between how you communicate or act versus other people you know you can have conversations where you're like oh my gosh like I could never wear this shirt because it's so itchy and weird like oh don't get that shirt that one has that material um and then you know or like oh my gosh like we just bought this food and it's different like we have to throw it out what new food are we like I've had those conversations with people and they're just normal right The food thing, the food thing's big for me because I can always tell the difference between own brand stuff and the actual stuff, like the, you know, the the stuff that's like the big brands. Like even if just it's just crisps or something, like like and I didn't I didn't know you wouldn't. Like I could always tell the difference. I could always do the Pepsi challenge as well, like easily. Uh-huh. Like I could, eat, I still can. Like, and I don't even drink it that much now. But like I could, yeah. I was always like I could tell the difference between what brand of things they were like if we bought oven chips i could tell if they were like the own brand or the like the nice brand i could always tell that difference i didn't realize that was an autistic thing until recently like but it makes so much sense <laughs> uh, it, it does um i and there's yeah there are many things that i didn't really realize were an autistic thing until recently and i'm like oh like that's just that's just how i function you know so i don't I don't see any difference, but, um, but whenever I started to put these, you know, things into place, a lot of the past started to make a lot more sense. Um, different, you know, arguments or falling outs I've had with different people over the years, like those started to make more sense. Um, yeah. trauma that I had and bullying that I had, you know, growing up, um, or in even in the workplace, um, you know, those things started to make more sense to me. Um, like, oh, and, you know, I realized that a lot of people that have been mean to me in my life, you know, they knew I was autistic before I did. <laughs> and maybe they didn't know I was autistic. Maybe that didn't wasn't a conscious thing. But there's mm-hmm. been research about people and their first impressions of autistic people versus holistic people. And a lot of times they don't like us mm. and they, they know something's different. 
Um, they know something's different and they treat us differently because of it. Um, wow. That makes so much sense. Like, cause I always, I was always like, I was never a people person. I always like struggled to get on with people to start with. And yeah. And like not, not knowing, I mean, not knowing what to say and how to talk and like not being naturally easygoing. And like, people didn't just get on with me naturally, you know. I didn't have, like, big groups of friends. I had, like, one or two friends, you know. And, uh, God, that makes so much sense now. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. About, but autism, like, it, that, but that makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, um, sometimes people don't don't like me, which is which I find really weird because I'm, I'm, I'm a nice person, generally, like, when you talk to me. Like, so, um, so, but, uh, yeah, but it was just the, it was just the, they, they sensed something different that maybe I didn't know until, until about the last five years or so. Yeah. And I've realized that a lot of um, neurotypical people kind of make a, a lot of assumptions about how, about me based on like how I'm communicating or not communicating in the way that they want me to. Um, or if I'm not, you know, prescribing to, their rules um socially um of how you're supposed to interact with other people because <laughs> apparently neurotypicals have a handbook somewhere i know it's somewhere they just hid it from us yes so all the rules of society right <laughs> i was always wondering like who, how does everyone just know this stuff like where's the secret book that everyone just read and i didn't read like that everyone just knows all these things and I don't I don't know any of them. I'm just having to literally learn them and pick them up and teach myself them while I'm in the middle of a social group. And <laughs> like like masking and all that kind of thing. And acting like just almost I realized this recently. I had literally learned to act like everyone else was acting as I'm like masking because I thought, oh this is how everyone else is acting. And if I behave like this and then I'll just then I'll then I'll then I'll look normal. You know, because I thought normal. Yeah, you know, I mean, I thought you know, because back then it's like normal is like, like me bad. I think everyone else normal kind of thing. Because I didn't know I was autistic to start with. But yeah, that, that's so. Yeah, that's that's definitely resonating with me. Yeah. So, at what age did you kind of realize you're you're autistic? Well, it was my sister who first kind of semi-diagnosed me because my sister worked in mental health and with people with autism and people with other you know with with different different conditions and stuff and uh and had experience of it and uh it was her that kind of pointed it out that you know i might have autism uh, or be on the spectrum we, we, people were still using the term asperger's at that point they're not obviously they're not using that anymore for correct reasons but like uh and i started so then i started to pay attention and did a bit of research, and I talked to another friend of mine, and he he said to me, yeah, 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 yeah you, you probably are on the spectrum. Like, that makes a lot of sense. And so I, the more I learned about it, the more I realized, you know, that, uh, yeah, that this kind of makes sense. This explains a lot of things, like a lot of things. Um, why I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't learn social skills, like why I didn't just know that I had to, uh, like, take, like, take care of myself like washing and cleaning and everything like that or why I had to do it because I wasn't taught because 
because you know I had a traumatic childhood, and so we didn't learn, we weren't taught life skills and stuff. So I just didn't know them. I didn't know there were life skills. Because my sister wasn't autistic, so she just picked them up naturally, like, and so and didn't have a problem with it. And I just didn't pick that all up. And uh, and I had again, like, I had to, and it and it made me look bad because it, people were thinking I didn't take care of myself. I didn't clean my clothes or myself or like, cause I didn't know I had to do that. Right. I didn't know that wasn't like, I didn't know. Cause I, I, you could, you can never, you can never tell your own body odor, right. You can't, you're the last person that can tell that. So you, I just thought like everyone was the same. Like, you know, that I didn't, didn't know there was this thing that everyone had to do because I just didn't know. Right. And so I, it, it, it was embarrassing for me to learn that lesson. And I, and I felt I was shamed in a lot about that like to know oh, you're lazy you don't care about yourself and it wasn't that it's just i didn't know i just, I just didn't know because i was never told this stuff and why it was important and this is this was a rule like uh, a social norm you know that i so i you know but um and there are lots of other things like that as well like like how to date and relationships and sex and i, I didn't, didn't learn any of that stuff like i just didn't know i mean i was i'm demisexual so I didn't have any kind of sexual attraction when I was a teenager. I wasn't wasn't really into that. So I just thought that was normal. Like, you know, and I thought that because I was brought up in the church, so it's like, oh, you just get married and then you have then you get then you have sex and it's all right and you know, whatever. Um so again it was like that was and that's probably why why the church made sense to me, because there was a lot of rules. So it kind of gave me a bit of like, oh I've got some structure in my life, like, you know, like um like, like some rules uh and uh and it's only actually after i realized i was autistic i was able to do deconstruction properly but although the deconstruction probably started when my mother died which is 23 years ago but it sped up once i'd done therapy and once i realized i was autistic it sped up the, the pace went just like went really just like much quicker because i was more able to deal with it right uh but yeah all those things like yeah it's it's so in hindsight it's just so obvious but at the time it wasn't it wasn't talked about much and there was a lot of stigma around autism and you know there still is with some people and uh and i just thought well i you know i'm you know i'm like i yeah i didn't realize at all and now oh it's obvious and now you know i've got a, i've got a i've got a, a nibbling who is on the spectrum and is, is he's six years old and getting diagnosed and getting support and getting everything that he needs and the school his school are helping him and my, my sister's helping him and his sister is helping him and so it's really great because he's getting all the all the stuff that I should have got and didn't get and I'm able to help him which is really lovely like and he kind of knows that I'm autistic I think because we've got quite a strong bond and I think he just somehow knows like you know that, that we're the same you know. Yeah. Um, there's like a yeah I think that's part of the connection with between us is that you know um so but that that kind of makes that helps me because like knowing that that the people in my family because it's obviously it's, it's genetic like who in, get it in the future will get support and I that I didn't get you know um I'm getting quite emotional talking about it but it's um but yeah yeah so I, I resonate with all of that yeah that's my that's how I found out that's how I realized I was on the spectrum. And like you say, the more once you realize, it opens things up and you realize just like, 
oh, that's what that was. That's what that was. Those are my obsessions. These are my obsessions now. Like, like I have periods where I get obsessed with movies or I get obsessed with a certain movie or I get obsessed with like um, a certain sport or I get obsessed with politics or like I'll have seasons of going through all these different things that become obsessions for a period and then go, then it, then it skips to the next one. They just go in a circle, you know, there's some that are always obsessions like Superman, for example, like, but there's some constant ones, but there's lots of ones which kind of jump, I jump between them, depending on what's happening like in, in the world or in my life or whatever, you know, like, like the US election, I was completely obsessed with politics and I was tweeting about the US election all the time. And I was, and I got loads of followers when <laughs> for some reason, like, um, yeah. And I was watching it on TV all the time. Cause I get, I, whenever there's an election, I get completely obsessive about politics. That's one of my things i did i've got a degree in politics so um yeah so it kind of it makes sense now in hindsight definitely special interests like you can't it's like i don't think you can sit down and be like this is going to be my next special interest it just kind of comes to you and you're just like i don't have a choice (laughs) i must focus and learn everything about this subject right yeah that's it that's it you find something new or someone tells you about something and it excites you and like by the next day, you've gone through every Wikipedia page, every article, every every book you can find on it. You've just done like, and you're almost an expert on it already. <laughs> like, um, it's just exactly what I do. <laughs> like, you know, watch YouTube videos on it, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And then all you want to do is info dump on the people around you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you probably don't want to hear about chickens again. <laughs> <laughs> But then I'll find myself just starting talking about chickens. And I'm like, yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> I love your interest in chickens. It's so cool. I just like, I could never have chickens myself, but I, but I just loved, I love, but one of the things I love about you is your interest in chickens. It's, it's like, it's so uniquely you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Like I said, you don't choose your special interest. It chooses you. Like I found a chicken walking down my street. So like I didn't choose chickens. Chickens chose me. <laughs> they did. They did. Absolutely did. Yeah. And I think that's uh, the same thing for for many other special interests. You know, they just come up, and you're like, I don't know why this is a thing that I'm so interested in right now, but you know, I really want to learn about this. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. I've had a new one for a while, actually. I'm sure that will change at some point, but because um, it seems to be like a rotation of like four or five of them yeah kind of go on a cycle so um <laughs> but you know that can always change so uh, i could find something new any day now <laughs> yeah so about a year ago is whenever i decided to um start the diagnosis process uh for autism mm-hmm. and um it was, it was very difficult because no one around here, I live in rural Southeast Kansas. Um, so looking around, there was a lot of resources for children, right? But not a lot for adults, um, especially when it came to diagnosing adults. Um, so like I did a lot of online research and just Googling and trying to figure it out because even my therapist at the time was just like, I can try to figure this out, but like, I don't know. And, um, I was lucky enough to find the person that I did. It was just through like Google searching. Um, and I, I would read every, you know, website, every profile of 
therapists or diagnosticians because, you know, I didn't want someone who wanted to fix me, right? I didn't want someone to see me as a problem or to see me as someone that had really a, dis, you know, like autism spectrum disorder is called a disorder, but like, I, I just think it, of it as a different neurotype. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that I, I had someone that, you know, had the same kind of views on that as I did and wanted to help me kind of, um, you know, take my autistic traits and um, use them in the best way possible for my own growth and my own, um, you know, self-love too. Um, and I didn't want to find anyone that was, you know, using ABA therapy, which is pretty much conversion therapy for autistic people. Um, and so I was skimming through a lot of different, you know, inf- lots of information and lots of different diagnosticians, but um, I found someone who um, did everything, you know, online um, and virtually. And um, of course, that person doesn't take insurance. <laughs> so it's just flat rates for everything. But she was cheaper than many others that I found. And, you know, you kind of paid as you went through appointments and they were kind of spread out throughout the year because of how much, um, how many patients um, and clients that she had, which were a lot. And um, this particular diagnostician that I work with and now um, I work with her, she's also a therapist. So I work with her now too. Um, She, uh, used to work with, um, autistic kids and diagnosing autistic kids. Um, but then decided to move to adults because she found, um, thought that there was like a lack of services there, um, especially for people who are assigned female at birth. So that was kind of her specialty, which was nice. Um, uh, and LGBTQ folks. Um, so I was like lucky to find her, I think, (laughs) Um, cause she was great. Uh, she made me feel comfortable right away. Whenever we first met, um, she laid out everything very nicely for me, told me like what each appointment was for, um, how the process would go, you know, um, it was all laid out. <laughs> so I, I didn't have any like surprises or anything. Um, the only problem was like scheduling throughout the year, um, just because she was so busy. Um, and I actually only had to wait like four months from my first appointment. And then, um, but everything was like from my first appointment in April and then my diagnosis in November. So it was, it was only six months, which really isn't bad from what I've heard from other people. Um, many, you know, wait lists are over a year long. Um, so, Uh, she, we had four different appointments where she kind of interviewed me and we talked pretty much about my entire life, (laughs) my entire life story from birth until now. Um, and then in between appointments, she had questionnaires for me where I would complete, um, diagnostic assessments. I completed the, the RADs that there was one, uh, I don't remember all of the different, um, assessments, but there were several that I took. Um, and then I took, uh, several questionnaires that kind of went, went through my different like social experiences. Um, 
my different like relationship experiences, my different vocational experiences, um, and different um, childhood experiences. Like it, it asked a bunch of different open-ended questions. Um, and so uh, she compiled everything. So pretty much my entire life story, she, you know, anal- like went through everything. Um, I, at the end, um, we had an appointment where she kind of went over the results with me, but I did receive like a 40 page document, um, pretty much detailing why I'm autistic. <laughs> so, um, I think it's, I think it's kind of funny just because I'm like, I have a, you don't think I'm autistic. I have a 40 page document that says so right here, <laughs> giving you all the reasons why, <laughs> um, which was very validating for me. In that, in that final appointment, um, Jeannie, uh, that's the diagnostician's name and my therapist's name, she, uh, she said, you were right. You're autistic. You know, like, you were right. And, and that felt really good because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, want, I want people to tell me that my entire life because there were so many times that I was right and people didn't believe me. And then also... Yeah. Being a person that is chronically ill, I've been to so many doctors for those issues, and I've always diagnosed myself before the doctor. But no doctor has ever been like, "You were right," <laughs> after like they confirmed what I thought. And um, all that you were right. <laughs> no, no, I'm like, ah, like you know uh, that I told you I thought I had this, and the only reason that you tested was because I told you I thought I had this. Uh, so. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the case, but, but that felt really good. She's like, so you were right. And here's why, like, here's all the things. And, um, uh, part of the document kind of went through, um, each diagnostic criteria of ASD in the, um, DSM five and kind of outlined bullet points, all the reasons why I met each criteria and I met all of the criteria. Um, and so it was very validating to see it was kind of overwhelming because that's like life just like in front of you in like diagnostic in a diagnostic lens. Um, so it's a little weird, but also it makes everything make a lot of sense. And throughout the entire diagnostic process, she also told me, she's like, if you think of anything that you think would be helpful, like a, a memory of like a circumstance, something that happened um, you know, a social experience, like a, a, a disagreement. I don't know, like anything that happens has happened in your life. An example of something that you think this was, this was odd, or this was strange, or this seems like an autistic thing that happened. <laughs> She's like, just email it to me. So whenever I'd, I'd think of something, I'd email it to her and she would add it to the, you know, her, her uh, pile of things all alley, I guess. <laughs> and um, so that that was just really interesting um, and validating to go through that. Um, and I, mm-hmm. friends, I'll call me the the guinea pig because I was like the first one, and they're like, "Okay, when do we do it?" Because we, I'm like, I could just tell you you have autism, but um, and self diagnosis uh, is completely valid. Um, and I believe that because most of the time, if you, 
if you are autistic, you probably made autism your special interest at one point. <laughs> yes, and, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Figured it out. So I and I believe you. Like <laughs> you've done all the research, you've taken all the tests, um, you've looked up the diagnostic criteria. If you you know care about that specific thing, you've you've listened to other people's experiences that are similar to yours. You know um, who you are, and if you know you believe you're autistic, then you're you're actually autistic. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm working on getting diagnosis for autism and ADHD at the moment, uh, and of course, being ADHD, I've been struggling to get started. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like um, I I did all the forms before and then handed them in and then the doctors lost them. Oh, like I rang them months later, expecting them to have got them and be working on them, and they said we never got them. And I'm like, oh, uh, these and they got lost in the post, and I never knew. Like I spent ages working on this with my sister and other people and collecting stories. Fortunately, because I was smart, I photocopied it and I'd kept it. <laughs> so I, it's just taking it into the doctors now, like, and I, I keep procrastinating even doing that because I'm ADHD, and that's a difficult thing. Difficult thing to start doing something, right? And you did it, and they messed up. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what's really annoying. Like, that's just my year, basically. Like, it's so frustrating. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, it's like with ADHD. Like you can't, it's so difficult to start something. Like if I need to clean a, the bathroom or something, like thinking about doing it and then doing it is is hard. Like so, I have this I have this way of getting around that by just saying, "Oh, I'll go to the bathroom to wash my hands or do something else." And then I end, of course, I end up doing like I end up literally this happened the other day. I was going to have a shower in the morning and I ended up cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> and then had a shower once I cleaned the bathroom, like. Like and I wasn't planning on that, but it just happened because that's ADHD. Like and anyway, um, we're talking about autism, but yeah. I have a hard time like cleaning. Uh, have you read the book um, "How to Clean House While Drowning"? No, and but I'd like to. That sounds a good book. How to clean house while drowning? Is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, by Casey Davis, and she's really great. She actually has a podcast um, called Struggle Care. And talks about like care tasks and she has ADHD and the whole book is kind of written in a way in a, in a neurodivergent friendly manner. Um, mm. Even like even the font, she even thought about the font. She chose a font that was, she said it was neurodivergent friendly. And I got to say, I could read that way easier than any other book I have. I can't remember um. what book is now but it was I was like this is crazy I can read this way easier it was a great book to read and it's short and simple um but yeah she also has a TikTok and kind of talks about a lot of the same things um and a podcast called struggle care which is like one of my favorite things right now I've kind of hyper focused on it a little bit <laughs> oh I'm gonna have to get that book I think like and maybe try and get uh, them on my show because that would be a really interesting conversation. That would That's, be really cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Definitely. How to Keep House While Drowning. That's a uh, that's a really cool book title as well. I like that book title. Like You can't forget that one, really. 
Well, that's how it feels a lot of times. You're like, I'm drowning in dishes or I'm drowning in laundry or like whatever it happens to be that day. Like laundry is really difficult for me. Um, There's so many steps in laundry. And so like I will do like, I'm like, oh, it just seems like so much to like take my laundry to the washer, put it in the washer, remember to come and get it out of the washer when it's done and put it in the dryer. Yeah, Remember to take it out of the dryer when it's done. Then you have to fold it and then put it away. Oh, there's so many steps. And that just like, just bursts my ADHD and autism brain. Like, I'm like, I, I, like the idea of starting that and then, and then forgetting like, the net, like three days later, finding laundry in the dryer and it's all wrinkly and you're like, oh, no. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I have to, I have to, yeah, I often go to the kitchen to cook my dinner and then I end up in the kitchen and end up putting my washing in then, like before I, and it's like, all right, now I can have my dinner. Like, like I just, it just, it's not a, it's almost like a little trick that you can teach yourself. Like you can always like pretend you're going to the kitchen for like almost like say I'm going to go to the kitchen and do this little thing, but like and but knowing that you're knowing that because you're ADHD you'll probably end up doing something else. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a yeah. Um, The only other way around it is to put reminders in my phone. That's the only other way around it. Like I have so many reminders for everything. Uh, I saw this uh, TikTok once of this guy talking about how many how many reminders, and he did like this kind of skit thing with himself, um, where his phone he was having this conversation with himself, and then his phone rang or his phone buzzed, and he's like, "Oh, it's my notification to take my pill," and he's like, "I'll just snooze it," and he puts it back in his phone, and then the phone like zaps him, and he. <laughs> Like he, he was like making up this invention um, that like the phone will zap him until he uh, he takes his pills. <laughs> and I was like, that's what we all need. <laughs> I'm, yeah, that's weird. I've never had a problem taking my medication because I'm, I'm epileptic. So I have medication for epilepsy. And so I never. It's always like a thing I do before bed. Like it's like something I. It's almost like a thing that I have to do. Like a, it's almost become like a routine thing. Like a, yeah. a ritual. I've, almost. Like I have to do it before I go to bed. Like I've made medication know. and like supplements and stuff. Like I've put that into my routine pretty well, and so that's one that that I have pretty well. But I have to take things three times a day, so um, it's a little more challenging. But like I have like this intense pill organizer and I still have a reminder on my phone for the afternoon one, because that's the one that I will forget. Like morning and evening are, are, you know, easier to remember than just like in the middle of the day. Um, but I've, I've got that mostly down, but there are other things like that. that I'm like, "Mm, not sure. Hmm. Well, getting diagnosed with ADHD was actually way easier than getting diagnosed with autism for some reason. I, um, well, first I tried to go to my community health center um, because I was told that they uh, diagnosed ADHD. And I guess they set me up with a nurse practitioner who only did medicine. And I'm like, I thought I was getting like, going to have like an evaluation. And that's not what she did. So they set me up with the wrong person and she 
made me feel pretty shitty. And so I was like, okay, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. And so I asked my, um, I asked my uh, physician, my um, primary care physician about it. Um, I had an appointment with her um, about other things. And I told her, I'm like, hey, I was, I was just diagnosed with autism. You know, I know that, you know, ADHD and autism, there's a high comorbidity there. And I think that I might have ADHD. Like, where would you recommend sending me um, to, you know, figure that out? And she actually was very supportive of it and got like really actually excited. (laughs) She's like, oh yeah, yeah, let's, let's do this. And, um, so she sent me to the uh, mental health center, a mental health center. And then I called them and they got me in like the next day for testing. And which was crazy. I was like, they're like, are you, are you free tomorrow afternoon? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Why not? And I went in there and I know that there are many different like diagnostic tools people use for ADHD and diagnosing that, but they only, they only gave me like one test thing. Well, okay. They had me do this test on the computer and I told them afterwards, I'm like, this test was meant to bore people out of their minds, wasn't it? And they laughed at me. They just laughed, but like the the tests on the computer, they're like, just follow the instructions and, and, and like, you know, follow the instructions and do what the, the voice command tells you to do. And so the voice command on the computer was like, okay, there are going to be numbers that come up on the screen one or two, please like click the mouse whenever you see the number one. And I was like, okay. So I did that for a while and then it changed to like, okay, now I'll click whenever you hear the number one. And not when you see it. And so sometimes you'd see the number one, but they didn't say number one, that kind of thing. A very simple thing. Wasn't trying to trick you or anything, but they did it for so long, James, so long that I got so bored. I was like, oh my gosh, my brain wanted to do anything, but look at that. And so I would, I started dazing off and thinking about other things and, uh, and then I didn't hear, like, I would hear the, the person saying like one and I didn't do anything. And then like a second later, I'd be like, they said one. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oops, well, it's too late now. They're all <laughs> on to the next one. And so that happened a bunch. And so my results came back and said that like, there was, um, I had like a lot of auditory, auditory Im- impairment when it came to like, um, focusing on like auditory, uh, commands and that kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, that I came back with inattentive, um, ADHD. And, uh, so that was interesting. Um, but I did want to try medication for ADHD and that's why I, like, I talked to my doctor and, and wanted to do that. So they sent the results over to my doctor and, um, because I have um, POTS, uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia, she wasn't too keen on putting me on a stimulant, even a low-dose stimulant, because of my uh, heart. Um, my heart rate gets real high. And so she was like, okay, let's just start with a non-stimulant and see how it goes. Um, so I was started on a non-stimulant recently, Stratera, which I know a lot of people ha- um, have been on for ADHD. 
Um, she just upped my dose uh, for that again, because I think it is helping me. I feel like I have a lot more um, mental energy to do things like the mental energy for things like to figure out problems or organize things or um, that kind of thing. Whereas before I felt like I didn't even have like the mental energy to start anything, um, which starting things is still kind of difficult, like task initiation. <laughs> it, that didn't fix that completely or anything, but because uh, task initiation is something that's really difficult for me. Um, but usually once I get going on a task, then I'm good. Um, but then sometimes I can hyper-focus on it and then I ignore everything else and I'm just focusing on that one thing. And that has happened, uh, with school quite a bit since I've gone back to school, um, last year, uh, where I am like, okay, I'm going to do this task. And I think I'm just going to, it's kind of like what you were talking about with cleaning. Like you're going to do this small thing in this bathroom, like, I don't know, clean the toilet. And then suddenly you're like scrubbing the floor and cleaning the the bath, the shower and like everything else. It's like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this one like assignment that I have. And then I'm like, oh, let's write an entire paper about this thing. And, um, <laughs> or sometimes I get kind of off on a, on a, while I'm researching for like a paper, um, I find, and I'm searching for research articles. Sometimes I find a research article that piques my interest, but it does not have anything to do with my assignment. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to save that for later. But also, I really want to read that right now because that sounds interesting. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. That's something that resonates for sure. All right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I have to find – it's funny, actually. I found a way that using my autism to help my ADHD. Yeah. And what I did – because, like, you know, you, know like you can get meltdowns with overstimulation or, like, or with, you know, with just, just like, things that are just not working properly or that you should – certain things that each, each person has which trigger their – you know, their meltdowns. For me, it's often technology when technology doesn't work because it's meant to have certain rules. Um, so, and I, but, but like when I have those, when I have a day where just everything is going wrong and everything's bad and everything's not working and everything, all the little things are going wrong. Like I'm just missing my bus or I'm just like, you know, all these little things. I created this rule of, we called one of those days, right? So when I realize that those things are all happening, I just decide, I just shift my brain to like, it's one of those days. And once I'm in that, once I'm in that like mindset, it's like everything can go wrong and I might have a meltdown. Like, um, because, because I've created a rule for myself where I can shift into and not have a meltdown, which would normally give me a meltdown. Yeah. Uh, great. ADHD meltdown, more autistic meltdown. And it works. It works. Like I've had less meltdowns since that, since I did that. Like, and like, it was just like, Oh, I can actually use my autism here to kind of help me. And I have, I have a therapist who's autistic as well and um, works with autistic people. And they helped me figure that out. Like that you can make rules, I can make rules for myself, like which can help me kind of get through without too many meltdowns and it works. Um, 
but it's kind of cool when you can use you can kind of use your autism to help you like with autism and other conditions that you have like ADHD yeah 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 I mean I I think it's really cool sometimes when I can hyper focus on one thing like and get a lot of stuff done or learn a lot of, of things in like a short amount of time like um it, it's really fun sometimes. Sometimes it's inconvenient for the people around you, <laughs> which I think a lot, that's a lot of, of what society looks at when they look at autism, right? They're like, they're like, Oh, you're a problem to be solved or um, we're doing things that in, inconvenience neurotypicals or make them uncomfortable. And That's not really our problem. Yeah. It's you know, not. Unless, unless we're, if we're not harming someone, <laughs> then, uh, no, then no. There's, there's no problem. Like if you're if you're causing harm, then sometimes you may not realize it, and you can yeah like be told, yeah. and then you don't do it again. Like as if yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's something that I think I have. I've run into problems with is that people don't tell me whenever I've like offended them or made them feel a certain way that's not good, you know? And, and I'm mm. like, if you just tell me, then I will fix it. And I won't ever do that again. But I didn't know that that upset you, <laughs> but you have to yeah, tell I, me. I, yeah. yeah. That's right. Just, people, just tell me like, like don't don't assume that I know that it offends you because I I won't know like because I would never do anything that hurts anybody like intentionally like so if I do something yeah. which causes harm it's not intentional and so you need to like so just tell me and I won't do it again right? yeah and, and like it's really like with an autistic person it's that simple just tell me it, it harms you and then I'll make a rule and it I won't do it again like it's that's it it's, it's simple as that really like yeah for me anyway like. I think that's where a lot of, of, you know, this disruption with in relationships comes from, like in my life that those, that's usually it is I do something that upsets someone else and I don't know it. <laughs> and then they are stewing over there over it and expecting me to go apologize. And I don't even know I've done anything wrong. And, um, yeah. You know, And I've just said no to those relationships. If you're going to assume that I've purposely harmed you, then you don't really know me. And that's, that's what I've found with a lot of people um, is that if they are assuming the worst of me, I don't, I don't think I want you in my life. And most of my, yeah. Most of my good friends, yeah. you know, they won't assume the worst of me, you know, and we try to tell each other, like, because a majority of us have experienced, you know, some sort of trauma and oh, well, a majority, all of us have, <laughs> and, you know, we can get triggered by different things, you know, people say, and, um, and sometimes I'm not even sure why I'm triggered, you know? Someone will say something and I'm like, oh, that really bothered me. Why is that really bothering me that they said that? Um, But it's not usually them, right? Like I had this situation where I was with a group of people and a friend of mine, I was telling a story about um, 
me when I was younger, I, I used to play basketball and you know, I was telling a story about how they used to call me Q because that stood for queen of fouls because <laughs> I was a really aggressive basketball player and someone in, in the group, like who was a newer friend, like was like, wow, really? Like, like they, they were, they, um, that surprised them. Uh, and, but I kind of took it as like, they thought I was lying. Um, that was like my first thing in my head. Like, you think I'm lying? And I didn't say that, but I was just kind of like, I kind of shut down and I didn't really realize why I was shutting down at the time. But then later I was like, ah, like when, when Tom said that, I thought that he was like accusing me of lying, which was something that many people did for me growing up. Um, Hmm. They would question, you know, what I was telling them. And I, I don't lie, James. I'm really bad at it. (laughs) Like I'm really bad at lying. Like, and, and so I don't do it. I'm, I'm a truth teller. And so uh, so that would always really bother me. Like, this is a, a maybe a silly example, but but like when I was a child, like I saw you know an owl in our tree, in our backyard, and so I told you know my family, I'm like, there's an owl that's living in our tree now, and no one believed me, and until they saw the owl, like weeks later, but like you know just little things like that that built up over time. I'm like, oh, you. So whenever he said that, I'm like, he thinks I'm lying. He thinks I'm a liar. And so that, that triggered something in me. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I, we didn't talk, we actually talked through it later, which was really good because he messaged me. He's like, I think I said something that made you upset. Like, and I don't know what it was. And I was like, it wasn't you. Like <laughs> I told him, I'm like, you said this, my response was this. I know that you didn't mean to like accuse me of lying during this time. I know that that was not your intention. And he's like, no, that wasn't my intention. It just was a surprising thing that I found out about you. And I was like, just expressing my surprise, but he's like, I'm glad that I, you know, am getting to know you better and learning these things about you. And, you know, I was just like, yeah, like this has happened to me a lot. And so when you said this, that triggered that response in me and I kind of shut down for that conversation. Um, so like that happens a lot, I think in conversations and we have to like kind of figure out why that's happening and communicate, um, to the other person. Cause a lot of times the other person isn't meaning to trigger you. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. You know, um, uh, it's just, that they don't know sometimes, you know, uh, yeah. And, and I, I, I know it's what, it, I know what you're talking about because I, I think there's friends, there's people, there's friends who have assumed the worst of me when I've done something. Well, it was literally, I didn't even know that I'd done anything wrong. I had no idea. Like, I didn't even know I caused them any harm or that I triggered them. I didn't know I'd breached any boundaries. I didn't, like, they hadn't, we hadn't talked about those boundaries. Like, so mm-hmm. I didn't know them. And, <laughs> uh, and sometimes I don't know what would be triggering or what wouldn't be. And, like, and I, I just assumed that it wouldn't be because I thought we were friends and stuff. And, that you would just like say like, that we two had to have a conversation about it. If I did trigger you, that I could just apologize and resolve it. Like, cause yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I told them in so many words I was autistic, but I don't think, I think I talked about it enough on my timeline that they knew or that they'd known I might be autistic, but 
they, they, they just assumed the worst of me and just like didn't even didn't even explain they just blocked me without even explaining why they didn't even have a conversation i didn't even know if i don't know what i'd done wrong because i checked all my interactions with them and i was like there's nothing here which is inappropriate or offensive or harmful or that i meant any harm with or like that i would assume that i would think anybody would be harmed by but it was just it was just it was really strange and it was really sad because i cared about this person and i know they're a good person but it's just they just i think they just assume negative intent about me and that that's more to do and i knew that was more to do with them and their their journey and experience more than more than me but so i had but in the end i just had to let it go because it's like i i know i did there was nothing there was nothing on my part to cause harm there was no intent on my heart if i'd known what i was doing was causing harm i wouldn't have done it and if they'd asked me to apologize i would have done and i would have made made any amends that i needed to make and that, that would have been it you know but they didn't do that and that's sad but like you're saying like when people if people are just going to assume the worst about me the first time i make a mistake or the first time i do something that i like that i make a that I kind of do something which causes harm unintentionally, and they're just going to assume that that's something bad, that's something I did maliciously. Then, then I don't really want them in my life because they're not, they don't know me. Because they, if they knew me, they knew I would never and ever ever intend to harm anybody ever. Like I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I, I couldn't, I couldn't intentionally harm somebody because I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to. Like even yeah. if I was angry with them, I wouldn't. Even if I was angry with them and part of me wanted to do harm to them, I couldn't actually do it because it's not in my nature. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to do harm to anybody. Like I want to, I want to see the best in everybody. I try to see the best in everybody, and that's got me hurt sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, a lot of what you're, what you're talking about, you know, letting letting those things go or talking them through. It's hard to do when you have you know ADHD and autism, and especially like. And that leads to like rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which I know you and I have talked about. Yes, yes. Rejection sensitivity dysphoria, yeah, that's a big thing for me. So yeah, yeah rejection sensitivity. And so, you know, that's that's a whole, you know, other thing, but also, but it's related. And there was another there was another um thing I thought of when you were talking about that. Uh now I'm not going to remember <laughs> and left my brain. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Uh, um, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you and I both, yeah, rejection sensitive disorder as a whole. We should do a podcast on that because that's a really important thing that people don't, not many people know about. Yeah. And it goes alongside ADHD a lot of the time and, and, uh, yeah, and abandonment, I have abandonment trauma anyway. So it's, you know, um, it, it can and the it can end up being self fulfilling. Anyway, sorry. Yes, you were going to say something. Yeah. Well, I I recently had kind of a conversation with my mother in law about rejection sensitivity dysphoria because, um, well, I sh- I shared with her about my autism diagnosis, my ADHD diagnosis, and and we were talking, and um, she has uh, ADHD, and and. I, she hadn't heard the term rejection sensitivity dysphoria, but I believe that that's something that she also relates to. Um, and so we had kind of a conversation about, about that and how that affects our relationship and how we interpret what the other person is saying. And, and that was really good for us um, to have that conversation. 
I think um, I've been having a lot of really difficult conversations with people lately and uh, it's exhausting, but I think it's so important. Um, mm, I had, you know, a conversation, several conversations recently with my mom that were, you know, just emotionally exhausting when it came to like boundaries. And um, I also shared with her about my autism diagnosis and, and um, how that kind of related to some of our um, communication issues, I guess, um, or communication boundaries or um, things that have come up whenever in our relationship. I'm, I'm like, I told her, I'm like, a lot of times you and, and our family in general tend to just be silent about things and like not talk about them in order to keep the peace. And I'm like, but I'd rather you just tell me <laughs> straight up what's going on. And please, please, can you do that? So we're like working on that. But because I'm like, I just want to know like one way or another. Um, and sometimes that kind of trumps the, um, I hate using that word now. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, know, I get that. I'm the same. I try and avoid using that phrase now. So, yeah. So a lot of times my my need for like directness um kind of supersedes like my rejection sensitivity dysphoria just a little bit sometimes when I'm just like please just tell me the straightforward answer even if even if it's like you think maybe it's it's a sensitive thing or or it may like hurt me a little, you know, if that makes sense. Like not like harm me, but like like um constructive criticism, you know? Um I would yeah, rather yeah. I would rather you tell me straight up what's going on and what you want from me, um, especially like in in work situations or in school situations, like feedback from from supervisors or from professors on like your assignments. Like I would always like I would be always be the one to make sure that my supervisor in my work like did their like, you know, semi-annual reviews with me I'm like I want to know how I'm doing <laughs> like I want to know how I'm doing and how I can improve and a lot of people don't understand that for some reason and I'm, I'm not sure if that's an autism thing or not or a neuro neurodivergent thing or not but for me like I I always want to improve and I I, I thrive on feedback that's constructive um, and so when I'm not getting that I, I asked for it. And a lot of times people don't think that's what I'm asking for. Uh, I have an example. I submitted an assignment this last semester to my herbalism professor, and it was just a, an outline and bibliography of our like research paper um, that we were doing for the, like our, uh, the larger project for the semester. And so this was like just the outline and everything. And I had already given him, um, my kind of uh, uh, out or like summary of what I wanted the research paper to focus on um, because I was doing something kind of outside his norm <laughs> because why not? Um, I chose my own topic instead of one of his topics. Um, but he had given me not a bad grade, but it was, it was a B and I, but he didn't really give me any feedback as to why that it wasn't an A, you know, like, or like any feedback as to what I could have done better. And so 
I was like, I'm, I'm confused about this. Like, and so I, I tried to write like a very concise email to him, just asking him to, to kind of outline like what I could do better next time I have to write up a, like an outline or a bibliography for a research paper. And I think after, after talking through this with my therapist, we think that he like read my email as kind of like a challenge to the grade because he responded and his response was that he sees my point and then he raised my grade. <laughs> and I was like, that's not even what I asked. Like, and he ne still never gave me feedback. <laughs> I was like, you don't even have to raise my grade. Like I, I'm not actually like asking you to do that. And I didn't even care that like I cared like that's not wasn't the purpose of my email or why I reached out to him. I just always want to improve and do better. So in different classes, I want to know like what his feedback was on what I could do better in in that assignment. And he did not get that <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I'm like, I I felt like I was very clear, but like my my therapist was like, I'm sure you were like, and we were talking about it. And she's like, a lot of times when I feel like she said a lot of times neurotypicals like see your um, asking for feedback as like a challenge to their authority. And I'm like, that's weird <laughs> because I, that's not what I'm trying to do. You know, I just want to know what I'm doing good, what I'm, what I could work better on, you know? And it's interesting that that causes some issues and miscommunication when I didn't ask for a different grade. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Communication is always a, a thing, isn't it? When you're like, we are <laughs> like trying to get people to understand what you really mean or like what your intent was and, like and I got a, whole, I got a yeah. whole damn degree in communication, and now I realize that I did that because I'm autistic, and yeah. I really needed to understand communication. And like, I still am like, I don't understand neurotypical communication. <laughs> uh, uh, I feel like I've I've gotten better, but then the moment I feel like I've gotten better, something like this happens like with the professor and I'm like, yeah. maybe I don't, maybe I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, brilliant. This has been so great. Like, um, um, I'm sure the people listening with autism and ADHD have uh, been encouraged like I have. Um, and, um, thank you for sharing. So honestly, um, that's, uh, really great and really courageous so thank you uh, oh, thanks for it's always great talking to you yeah it is yes and we'll definitely have you back there's loads more we can talk about including rsd and there's loads of other things as well we can talk about so um, i'm sure you'll be back on the show again and uh we'll try and do that soon but um where can people find you and your work online yeah so um you can find me uh, on most social media on twitter at at anxious by queen 
And um, the Witchy Bibliophile is my business. Um, the Witchy Bibliophile.com is my website. So you can find me there too. Fantastic. Do, do go and check all that out uh, and give Ali a follow. Uh, they are really amazing. So uh, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody.